Kairos moment. Kairos. I love this series. Who's enjoying it? Who's enjoying it? I am loving it. Kairos. It's a, it's from a, it's a Greek word. In, in, in the Greek language, you have two, two words for, for time. One is chronos, in which we get the word chronolo- chronology, <laughs> chronological, chronos. That means like your, your minutes, your hours, your seconds, your weeks, your months. That's a chronos. But there's another word for time, and it's called kairos. And it is a favorable moment for decision or, and or for action. It's that, it, and it's the moment that we're in. This isn't just a theme, okay? This isn't just a sort of a hope and a wish. Well, I hope this is right. No, this is an opportune moment that we are in right now, and we've been covering the, we've been covering this for a number of weeks now, and um, I'll just recap quickly. And we've looked at knowing the time, looking at the seasons that the season that we're in. You know, that Jesus had said that in these last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. And I mean, you just have to watch the news for five minutes to see that I think we're in those last days. So knowing the time, but not just knowing the time, knowing the kairos, the moment, but there's, a, there's a, um, one of the tribes of Israel called Issachar, and the sons of Issachar, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, not only knew the season that they were in, but they also knew what the children of Israel needed to do in that moment. So it's not like we're just talking about a moment. No, we need to know what we need to do in this moment. And um, the following week we did knowing our position and purpose. And we, we spoke about Esther. We spoke about Noah and um, various other people, but about knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives, that you're not here by accident, you're not here by incident, but God has a plan and a purpose for you, and we need to know what it is that we need to be doing. And then knowing our response. How do we respond? What do we do about knowing the time we're in, knowing our position, knowing our purpose? How do we respond? And so we're going to do like a bit of a recap today, except we're coming from a different perspective. And so if we go back to the story, to the account of Esther, I would highly recommend you read the book of Esther. Try and read it this week. It's a short book, 10 chapters, I think it is. It's a short book, but there's so much in there. There's so much in there. But the account of Esther is about this orphaned Jewish girl who was living in Persia. And the Persians were a nation who despised the Jews. So she was living in a very uncomfortable situation. But through a series of events, there's a whole series of events, but Esther was chosen by the king to be his queen. And, um, and as a result of that, God used Esther to deliver the whole family, the whole tribe of Israel that were exiled in Persia at the time from total annihilation because a decree had been, been set out by the king that they all need to die. But through Esther's bravery, stepping up, speaking to the king on behalf of all the Jews living in Persia, um, they were saved. And now I just want to give a little bit of context 
about this. Now, there's uncertainty about Esther's age, about when she actually became queen. But basically, she was orphaned from a young girl. So she, both her parents had died. She, had, she was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And, um, but the time between being orphaned and then becoming a queen was about 30 years or more, or more, most likely more, okay? But in a moment, in a kairos, in that God-ordained moment, Esther went from being this orphaned Jewish girl to being queen of a superpower in a moment, in a moment. So Esther, in the grand scheme of things, experienced, which is my title of my message, a suddenly. She experienced a suddenly after being in the wilderness, so to speak, for 30-something years, she had a kairos moment, and she became queen. And I think, you know what, sometimes we can have misconceptions about royalty. You know, we th you know I think, you know, my, my, my idea of royalty before we actually came to the UK was, you know, mom sat in a high tower and was waited on hand and foot and she had lived the life of Riley, you know? <laughs> but I soon learned, actually, that I don't think royalty is all that it's cracked up to be. Because with that position of being royalty, there's responsibility, there's responsibility. So there are advantages to royalty, but there are definitely responsibilities. You know, you just look at the life of Queen Elizabeth, who, who, who died last year, who for 70 years served this nation without complaining. You know, I'm sure that there was a time when Queen Elizabeth woke up one morning and said, Philip, let's go down to Sainsbury's, be like the normal people. But she couldn't, you know, the poor woman. She must have longed to live a normal life. There must be, but that was the price she paid. And the price she paid, her life wasn't her own. You know, she, she was being scrutinized all the time. And, and so it continues with the, English ro with the British royal family. But with privilege comes great responsibility. Esther was positioned for such a time as this, her kairos moment. She could have turned her back on the Jewish people and she could have continued living her life protected in, in a royal surroundings, but she chose, she chose to risk her life by and ask the king to spare her people. With, ro with, with royalty comes responsibility. And I love the scripture. Chris quoted it earlier. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, you church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Guess what? You're a holy nation. You're his own special people. This is who we are to God. We're a royal priesthood. There's another scripture in Revelation 1.6 that says we are both kings and priests to our God. We are both kings and priests. 
you know what, all throughout our, our church here, we see these signs. Holding up a sign for those listening. It says, welcome home. Welcome home. I think it says it on the T-shirts. No, they don't. They say, they say we are family. But welcome home. It says, welcome home. We are kings and priests. If this is your, your spiritual home, welcome home. We have that welcome home sign. And we are sons and daughters in this house. And we have been positioned here by God. Not just positioned uh, on purpose, with a purpose, but he's also given us responsibility. He's given us responsibility. I remember growing up, um, I, I was one of three children, and I was the youngest, but that didn't really mean much. <laughs> didn't get away with anything, you know. And, um, but the three of us, my brother, my sister, myself, we used to have tasks. We had responsibilities. And um, on a Sunday, I wasn't raised in church, but on a Sunday, one person would do the cooking, the other one would do the washing up, and the other one would do the drying up and the packing away. You always didn't want to do the drying up because you had like a double task. But that was the way we were raised. We didn't question it. It was a responsibility. It was part of being in the house, the McLeod household, was we were given responsibilities. This was what you had to do. You had to make your bed in the morning, whether you liked it or not. It was a responsibility. My mother didn't do it. Nobody did it. We did it ourselves. And if we didn't do it, we got into big trouble. We were given responsibilities. And so the same way. Welcome home, church. Welcome home. Welcome home. Guess what? Have you made your bed this morning? Have you washed up this morning? Yes. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, some people have made their bed. But I'm talking about in this house, okay? <laughs> but have we made, you know... I was so blessed this morning. We were blessed this morning. We're having pancakes after the service. And the people that came and listened to lecture after lecture, where the tables are going to go and where the food must go and what must happen and what mustn't happen. And they just listened politely and sighed a couple of times. But you know what? They were willing to come and serve the church, to serve you. Listen to what it says. And this is how we serve God, by serving the church. Hebrews 6, verse 10, in the New Living Translation. I can't believe I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but there you go. Um, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him. How you have shown your love to him. How? By caring for other believers as you still do. God is not unjust. He will not forget your labor of love. And how do you, how do you show your love to him? By caring for each other. That's how, this is how we show. This is how we take responsibility, by loving one another, by encouraging one another, by feeding one another, by serving one another. So that was the story. That was a bit of a background about Esther. And then we also went on last week about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a trusted man of influence. He was, he was the king's cupbearer. 
And you know, he used to have to test the wine for the king. So he was in close proximity to the king. So Nehemiah lived quite a, um, um, quite a, a royal kind of life himself. He benefited from living within the, within the palace. And, but while he was in the palace, being the, the, the king's cupbearer, he had news that the walls of Jerusalem were lying in ruin and had been for 152 years. And look at his response. Nehemiah 1.4. It says, So it was, when I heard these words about the state of the walls, that I sat down and the clock fell off the wall. <laughs> A Kairos moment. I sat down and I wept. <laughs> Don't worry about it. These things happen, eh? But I sat up. For the, those who were sleeping, aha, I see you, I see you. But I sat down and wept, and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, this is a guy, he's living in Persia, 800 miles away. He wasn't even born in Jerusalem. Yet when he had news that the walls had been lying in ruin for 152 days, this is his response, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's heart broke for Jerusalem. Having the walls in such a state was a shame. It was a reproach. It was, and, and, it, and it was a, a, a state of total openness to attack. With, there was no, no form of defense for the people in the city. It's a bit like watching the news nowadays. You know when you see what's going on in, in, um, in, in the Ukraine? Man, you watch that stuff, your heart breaks. When you see the, the devastation in Turkey and Syria, the hardship that people are going through, it's terrible. And this is how I feel at times, that I could sit down and weep and mourn for many, many days. But I love his response. We're not going to go there, but I'd encourage you to read it in Nehemiah 1, verses 5 to 11. Nehemiah prays this prayer of repentance this prayer of repentance. But hang on a sec, he had nothing to repent of. But he prayed a prayer of repentance on behalf of the people that were living in Jerusalem. And, we, and then we go on to Nehemiah chapter 2. And the time gap, the time, the, the time between Nehemiah 1 from this event where he was fasting and praying for many days to Nehemiah chapter 2 is a period of four months. Sometimes we read the Bible and it looks like, oh, it's the next day, or, you know, it's the same day. But actually four months have gone through. And in those four months, Nehemiah spent waiting on God. And I believe he did a Habakkuk 2 before God. Habakkuk 2, verses 1 and 2. I believe this is what he did. He says, I will stand my watch. 
I'm going to watch. And I'm going to set myself on the rampart. I'm going to position myself. This is Nehemiah, 800 miles away. But this is his response. I'm going to set myself on the rampart. And I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me. And I love this line. And what I will answer when I am corrected. (laughs) When I'm corrected. Hey, what's your response when God presses your button? What's your response when when you know... When I'm waiting on God, and eh, what's my response? What will I answer when I'm corrected? But the Lord said to, this is for Habakkuk, but the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Write it down. And it's what I was sharing last, last week. Receive it. You've got to receive the vision first. Receive it. Write it down. Write it down. And then you may run with it as you read it. So this is, this is what I believe that um, Nehemiah was doing. He was writing the vision down. He was positioning himself. He was hearing from God. He got God's strategy. He didn't just go, okay, uh, you know, fly be. Here I come, Jerusalem. I'm on my way. I'm just going to go and build the wall. No, he waited on God four months for a strategy. How much we need to follow what, he's, what he does And then he goes and he travels 800 miles, gets to Jerusalem, and for three days he he observes the city. He doesn't arrive there and say, here I am, people. No, he keeps to himself. He keeps quiet, and and he just sort of settles in, and he observes the walls. And then, after three days, he spoke to the leaders of Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah 2.17, these are his words that he says to the leaders. He says, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, reading that this week, I thought, "Ah, hang on a sec. I'm going to read that again. This is Nehemiah. He's traveled 800 miles to get to Jerusalem to build walls, to rebuild the walls. And he says this to the leaders. He says, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us. Come, let us build the wall that we may no longer be a reproach. You know what? When things aren't going well, it's, it's all of us. I don't want to labor this, but last Sunday we had a bit of a fiasco here in church. Nothing worked. The AV didn't work through no fault of anybody's. It's just the way things happened. And, um, you know, things weren't easy. But guess what? We were all taking the reproach. We all were impacted by what happened last Sunday. But this is what I love, is that Nehemiah took responsibility even though he hadn't even been born there. He took responsibility for the walls. And in Nehemiah 2.18, what's the response of the leaders? They say, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to the good work. Then, now, this is about, it's supposed to be about suddenly, right? This is quite a long time to get to my suddenly. But do you know what? In those 152 years that the walls were lying in ruin, on one occasion, over a period of 70 years, 
the Jews had attempted to rebuild the walls, but failed. They were not successful. 70 years is 25,550 days. That's a long time. That's how many days they'd attempted to rebuild the walls. But what happened? After Nehemiah had fasted, had prayed, had sought the Lord, had heard from God, those walls, he got everybody's buy-in, those walls were built in 52 days. It's 0.2% of what was previously attempted. I did the calculation this weekend. 0.2%, 52 days compared to 25,550 days previously. Come on, if that's not a suddenly, then what is? If that's not a suddenly, then what is? Why? Because God was in the moment. Because God was in the moment. It was a Kairos moment. It was a God-ordained moment. Kairos, a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. That's what Kairos is about. And we're not just learning this to make us have big heads and thin hearts. No, we need to hear the vision. We need to receive the vision, and we need to put it to work. We need to be like Nehemiah. Let's spend some time in prayer. Let's spend some time fasting. We've been fasting earlier in the year. We will fast again, but we are going to be starting prayer meetings. <coughs> um, they will be via Zoom, but we're going to be starting them once a week. So get ready for the Zoom details and join us. 40 minutes. We're doing it on the cheap. We don't even have to pay for Zoom. Okay, 40 minutes. We're going to pray once a week, and we're going to see, we're going to make the most of this Kairos moment. Come on. And one of the, ca one of the characteristics of Kairos acceleration, momentum. What the uh, Jews had attempted for all those 25,000 years, God did in 52 days. Acceleration. It's one of the characteristics of uh, Kairos. And I think about it this way. Okay, so that's all good and well, Sandy, but how does this also affect me? Well, let me encourage you. That's something that you've been praying for, something that you believe in God for, for a number of years, for a, for a long, long time. Guess what? In this Kairos moment, God can accelerate it just in a moment. You know what? For 30 years, I've been witnessing to my mother-in-law. For 30 years. It's like water off a duck's back. She just didn't receive. She just didn't get it. But on my birthday in January, at the age of 86, she gave her heart to the Lord. 86, she turns 87 on Tuesday. Just made it before her 87th birthday. She saved. She saved. Up until then, she wasn't going to go to heaven. She was destined for hell. I'm sorry to say it so bluntly, but it's the truth. There is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you resist him... You are not going to be spending eternity with him. My mother-in-law, one day, when I go home to be with the Lord, she's going to be there. She's going to be there. I'm going to see her. And so, 70 years. 
Whatever the, whatever the situation might be, whatever it is you're believing for, believe God for a Kairos moment. That person you're believing for, don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing, doing good. Because the Bible says for in due season, in due Kairos, Kairos, in due season, you shall reap if you do not give up. You know what? Get in people's faces. Do it. Just do it. You have permission. But there's so many other suddenlies throughout the Bible. And it would be wrong of me if I didn't share this one from Ezekiel chapter 37. And I'd encourage you also to read that scripture. It's about a prophet called Ezekiel who has a vision of a valley of dry bones. A valley of dry bones. And you know, the Jews... Um, when, they, when they have experienced death in their family, they bury their dead within 24 hours. It's just the way, it's, one of their, it's a part of their culture. And yet Ezekiel has this vision of a valley full of dry bones, which means that those Jews, those bones have not had a proper burial. So they are a disgrace. They are a reproach. It's again, it's like Nehemiah. The walls that were broken, it was a reproach. He took responsibility. But Ezekiel, the prophet, he goes to God and he says, well, first of all, God asks Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can that wall be rebuilt? Can that person you're believing for be saved? Can you get your healing? Will God really provide? Will God really restore? And Ezekiel's response is, oh God, you know. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even try and answer it properly because God is the all-knowing God. God knows. But I love what happens. So, he, so God knows. Ezekiel knows that God knows. And um, Ezekiel just leaves the matter with God. He leaves the matter with God, but God gave him something to do. Here we go again welcome home. God gives Ezekiel something to do. And he, what was the thing that he had to do? Prophesy. Prophesy to these bones. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded. God had commanded him, prophesy. Speak the word of God over those dry bones. Whatever situation you are facing, speak the word of God, proclaim it, prophesy, prophesy. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But he says, prophesy, and what happened? There was a noise, and suddenly, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. There was a noise, and a suddenly. Do you know what? A suddenly has a noise. There's a noise to a suddenly. There's a sound to a suddenly. There's a sound, and I'm hearing it in this church. I'm hearing the sound of a suddenly. Then he goes on, and he says, okay, so the bones have come together, and he says, now prophesy to the breath. The breath is the ruach. It's the spirit of God, and he says, prophesy, say to this breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. O Spirit of God, come from the four winds. 
breathe on the slain that they may live. So the bones are all together, but they're not alive. The Spirit of God is what gives us life. Breathe, prophesy over these dry bones. And I prophesied as he commanded me. And look what happened. Breath came into them. And they lived. And they stood upon their feet. An exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. You can look around and think, who, us? Yes, family church, Waterlooville. An exceedingly great army army. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. Ah, praise God. I'm preaching myself happy. One other. I can't, can't miss this one. Day of Pentecost. Come on. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the day of Pentecost, when there was another Kairos moment, the, the day, it wasn't the days. No, the day, there was a Kairos moment for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so when the day of Pentecost had fully come and, and the, those disciples were in the upper room, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the, and the, and the disciples are in Jerusalem They've gone to Jerusalem where Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And so they did. And they were up in the upper room praying, seeking God together, united. The Bible says they were in one accord. They were united. There, there was no animosity. There was no schism between the disciples. And what happened? There came a sound. There came a sound of, of a rushing, mighty wind, the Spirit of God. And what happened? They were all, ah, no, there were some. No, they were all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This, the suddenly has a sound. There, and the suddenly has a result. The result of that sound was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, in a heavenly language. Something like that. And I'm not doing to boast because I don't boast in anything else but my Lord Jesus Christ. But man, when you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. Come on. I'm going to, I want to come into land. But I want to come into land, but I can't, I'm not going to leave my message. The kids are okay for another five minutes. They'll be okay. At the moment, in a place in Kentucky in America, a place called Asbury University, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've looked up details about this university. What's so special about Asbury University in Kentucky, America? Amy, is there anything significant? Never heard of it? Heard of it? Not heard of it? Um, nothing in particular? But you know what? God has shown up. 
God has shown up. They've brought the town to a standstill. 20,000 people queuing to get into a building to experience the outpouring, the presence of God. The town of Asbury has only 6,000 people. There aren't even enough toilets to accommodate the 20,000 people that are queuing to come and experience the presence of God. And just this weekend, I saw an interview by a woman, one of the student leaders, this student, young people, be ready, be ready. I'm telling you, God's going to use the young people. You might not know about it, but I'm telling you, get ready to be used by God. Get ready to receive him because he wants to pour out his spirit on this, on this society, in this place where we find ourselves today. He does. But this woman, the student leader, was being interviewed on Fox News. She was being interviewed on Fox News. And she said these words. She was a humble, humble girl, a woman. She's lovely. And she said these words. At Asbury University, we meet for chapel three days a week at 10 a.m. sharp. I was in tears. Why? Because there was nothing different. The, the university was opened in 1890. They have experienced some revivals from time to time. But for, since that university was formed in 1890, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, at 10 a.m. sharp, the students of this Christian university go to chapel. And what they do there, they worship God, they pray, and they hear the word. It's like church, right? We come, we worship, we serve, we hear the word, we go home. We have tea and coffee, we go home. Except, except, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, 8th of February, suddenly, suddenly, there's an outpouring. Suddenly, there's an outpouring. They didn't leave, they didn't want to leave the building. There was such a strong presence of God. There were people repenting. There were people crying out for a touch from God. Why? Wasn't God there in 1890 when that university was dedicated to the glory of God? Yes, he was there. Wasn't he there three months ago? Yes. He was there. Three weeks ago? Yes. He was there. Why? 8th of February. Because it was a Kairos moment. It's a suddenly, just like that. Just like that. There's this Kairos moment. A moment when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. It's a moment of opportunity. It's a God-ordained moment. It's a moment when the divine hits humanity. Man, 15th of September 1991, I didn't know what hit me the day I received Jesus Christ into my 
life. A changed person. From darkness to light. God wants to do it for you and for you and for me, for all of us. God wants to transform lives. That's his motive. That's his intention. Asbury University meets three times a week at 10 a.m. sharp. What does that tell me? It tells me three things. It tells me commitment. It tells me consistency. And it tells me expectation. Are we, how are we doing on those three? And I'm not looking at anyone, and this is not meant in any condemning way, but how are we doing with commitment, with consistency, and with expectation? Personally, privately, and corporately. Do we come into church on a Sunday? This is just a normal Sunday. I'm going to church because this is what I do on a Sunday. I go to church. Or am I coming, getting up in the morning? Ah, it's Sunday. It's time to celebrate the goodness of God. It's time to celebrate the risen God. It's time to celebrate the, 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 the risen Savior. It's time to celebrate. It's time to see my brothers and my sisters. It's time to serve the living God. How? By loving one another, by encouraging one another, by serving one another, by worshiping God, by giving, by whatever means possible. As long as we've got that approach, guess what? God's got, he's going to work on us. He's going to work through us. He's going to do things in us and things will change. You know what? We're not always only looking for big moments. We're not just looking for big, big moments. Look at the life of Nehemiah. Those four months that he spent alone with God, repenting on behalf of other people, on behalf of a nation. And at times, God's done the deepest work in my life in the quiet. That's when he's done the most work in my life. So we're not always only looking, we're not looking for the, for the, the sparks to fly. Hey, I'm, I'm open to it. Yes, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. I would love it. But we're going to position ourselves to hear from God. We're going to be expectant to hear from him. We're going, to, we're going to see a great work being done here, a suddenly, a suddenly. Come to church next Sunday, expectant. Come to church, 10 a.m. sharp. Can I say that? Oh, I did. 10 a.m. sharp. Come to church, 10 a.m. sharp. I know I'm preaching to the, to the choir here, but 10 a.m., please come. Let's be committed. Let's be consistent. Let's be consistent. And let's, come on, we're going to hear from God every single time. You know what? One of, one of family church's values, we've got 12 values. One of them is we are responsive people. We are responsive. And that's what we're doing. And I love, th I love the response of family church Waterlooville. You know, whenever there's been a call for anything, you've been there. When there's been a call to pray for the Ukraine, we prayed. When there's been a call to send money to the Ukraine or to Moldova, we sent money. When there's been a call for harvest, man, the table was groaning under the, under the weight of the, the foodstuff that was, that was brought in by the church to feed those that have need. So 
This is the response. We are a responsive people, and we're encouraged by it. But we believe in God for a year of suddenness in the lives of everyone who calls Family Church Waterlooville their home, both personally and collectively. Like Queen Esther, with royalty comes responsibility. We are here for such a time as this. Like Nehemiah took ownership for the war. Guess what? Here's the thing. You see something needs to be done, do it. You see something in the church that needs to be done, do it. Do it. Let's be like Nehemiah. It's my responsibility. Like Ezekiel, he prophesied to the dry bones. He did his part, God did the rest. Just do what God's asking you to do. Like the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were with one accord, there comes that rushing mighty wind. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly has a sound and suddenly has a result. So last week, we created the document, and it says name, frequency per month, and it's got a whole list of things to sign up to, because we need to be prepared for what's coming into this church. We cannot continue working people to death, Amy. We cannot continue to work Amy to and others to death. Alice, David, <laughs> all the others. <laughs> the, the problem is you start naming people, then you haven't named some people I shouldn't have started. Sorry, just scrap that bit. But we need to be able to serve, and we want to set up rotors. So this page is going to be available. It's already started. People have full started filling it in. And our biggest need is Kids Church. I'll tell you that now. Kids Church, we need Kids Church workers. Set up, pack away, AV, sound, hospitality, hosting, what you can do in the frequency but we're going to respond. Okay, so get this form, fill it in, however often you can serve on a monthly basis. But I want us to just stand up right now, and I'm going to pray over you. I'm sorry I've gone over time, but I wanted to get the point across. And so let's just pray.